Welcome back, everybody, to the Toro Cigar Lounge Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Glover. You're not going to want to miss today, folks. Today, we have Stolen Thrones with us. We'll be right back. In a world desperate to separate us by our differences, there's still a place where you can go where all are welcome. The Cigar Lounge. Welcome to the Toro Cigar Lounge Podcast. And we're back. Again, I'm your host, Mike Lover, a.k.a. 757CigarMike on Instagram. Feel free to look me up. And to my left, we have... Lee Marsh, Stolen Throne Cigars. At Stolen Throne Cigars on Instagram. Nice. Very, very intuitive. And most of you know this guy by now, but we'll let him introduce himself. Ken Blue Smoke. Instagram doesn't want you to follow me. It won't show you my <laughs> stuff if I put it out there. So if you already follow me, you probably know, but... Uh, I can't believe you're still battling Instagram. Yeah, I got less followers than I had in like months, and I put tons of good stuff. You still out. got a strike or something against you? No, no, I checked it out. No you, strikes. You and uh, Instagram timeout. Like yeah, he was for a while. He 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 did some things he shouldn't have done, folks, on Instagram, <laughs> and he got put <laughs> in timeout. <laughs> you know, it is weird. I noticed that you know we do the live from the throne room on Thursday nights. Uh, I did notice that they stopped counting your your views. Yes. Like the last yes. couple ones that's saying zero and we're averaging, you know, yes. 1,500, you know, it's it's weird. Yep. And then when you post that live to a reel, it doesn't count your views yeah. on the reel. Well, it never, it was always a broken analytics thing. Yep. Right. Because like it would never capture your live views in totality with yep. the numbers after the fact which isn't that big of a it, deal but it's just it seems like a silly platform instagram live needs to get their shit together anyway they have horrible compression you if it's one or two people it seems to do okay but if you add a third or fourth person their system is not set up to take in four different high quality video feeds with audio and spit it back out into one and yeah, I mean, I, I like the, the ease of the platform. Yep. I'll be honest, it allows me to go live when I'm in Nicaragua or here. Right. Uh, but I will say, you're right. And it seems to have a lot of bugs at the moment, right? Like, I, yep. I've had a couple now where you can't see other people that are on there. Like <laughs> happens every one of our lives. Yeah, pretty much. Everyone. It, the best part is that when you watch our throne room lives, like, it breaks Kaplowitz's brain every time. Like, he can't, <laughs> like, he, we go through a spiel of, like, are you there? Can, can you hear me? <laughs> what are you wearing? I can't see you. <laughs> you know, so like it's just, it becomes a total ordeal. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Instagram, get your shit together. <laughs> Fuckers. <All> right. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, what are you smoking, Lee? What are you smoking today? I'm smoking the Yorktown Fleet Box Press Torpedo. Nice. Uh, this is, uh, you know, for, I'm sure you guys know, this is our newest release. Mm -hmm. Launched it at the PCA, started shipping in September. Um, Really cool cigar. Very popular stick in our humidor. As you got, as you're smoking a crooked. Yeah, cigar. I'm smoking a crooked crown, which is <laughs> you know hands down the second most popular cigar we sell. But the Yorktown Fleet was selling a lot. It's a cool cigar, and I think you know there's always like this rush period when we release something, and then there's like this trying to understand what I'm up to next kind of right. thing. Because like I'm so conditioned to try not to do every like. I was up against it so much, and we talked about this. Like once the crook came out, and it kind of took off and became its own thing. Like I was under all this pressure. Like how the fuck do you follow that up? You know, 
And it's so, hard. and it's always been my goal to be unpredictable as a blender. I never want anything to be the same or taste the same. And like, even with the Yorktown fleet, like there was everyone who was worried that it was going to taste like the call because it's the same wrapper, but we aged it longer for the Maduro process. Right. And it's nothing the same. It doesn't taste anything like the call. No, it does not. It does not. Ken, what are you smoking? Um, I have uh, the house stick from Willie's, which is a local lounge where, where we're at and, uh, stolen thrones, uh, handles, handles their sticks. So it's a, it has a similar vibe and it, it's a, it's a really good stick. This is their full bodied stick that I got from their event the other day. Now, did you blend that for them? Uh, kind of, sort of. I don't know. Maybe. Kind of. Really has like thirty thousand house sticks. You know, I know. Well, I know. It's, it's actually great. It's a great experience. Yeah. So when Noel and I started doing that, like uh, it was a very different vibe, and there was some stuff that I blended, and there's stuff that Noel blended, and then we changed things. I mean, if you you've met Willie. Yes. He's a tinker. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's just like you give an inch, take a mile. That's Willie. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they're great cigars. I mean, they're, they're a big supporter of the Rojas factory in totality over there. Yep. Us, Noel, the house blends. It's all the same. And I think we just missed you Friday night. We were there. Oh, yeah? We were there, and I think we it was about 6.30. I'd been there since about 2 o'clock with Jake. And I, I saw Jake. I was ready. I saw Jake. Yeah, I was, but I was ready. So, Well, I had some family stuff to do. You know, we were at the office, and then... Um, Went and got our Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. So we still do real trees. So we went and did that, went to dinner, and then I stopped in. Uh, Willie's seventh anniversary. Uh, Jake was still there. Yeah. Jake was still there. Jake was lighting up another cigar as I was leaving. He was going to have one more before he trekked back through the tunnel. Um, He just wanted to make sure traffic died down enough. Yeah, I told him I don't feel bad for him. I used to do that every day. I did it every day for 15 years. I didn't do it that long. I did it for... uh, like seven and a half. Yeah. I did it for 15 years and it sucks. It's terrible. You it know, sucks. when I was like, uh, in the summer times, it's like a tale of two cities, right? It absolutely is. In the summertime, <laughs> what I would do on Fridays, I would just go have a cigar and see a movie. Mm. The same difference as sitting in traffic for two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, now they got Magoo's over there in, in Norfolk. Yeah, Magoo's great shop. John's yep. awesome. Big yep. supporter of Stolen Throne. That was that was the first time I, I tasted Crick of the Crown, and that was the the I know I said this on the on the um, Torah Tuesday, but that that was the first cigar that really was like, okay, this could be my go-to cigar. This was one that really stood out to me. Like this is what I wanted. I did you not know? pay him to say that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean Magoo's is great, and now because the whole landscape is is different over there now than what it was, oh, yeah. you know, when I was doing the the daily commute. Because um, man, I I had to join like the Town Point Club to have like a place to smoke a cigar. Yeah, you you never knew whether it was going to be a thirty or forty minute drive. You never home. knew. That's right. I you know I remember one time, uh, not to get too far off topic, but I I was working over in Virginia Beach. And it started snowing around noon. Just little flurries coming down. And um, about 3 o'clock, the roads were sticking a little bit. And my boss said, hey, I think you she was a great lady. And she goes, I think you probably should get on the road. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to take you up on it. Not because I was scared of the roads, just because I'm tired. Yeah, I want to go home. for the day. Let's go home. I got in my car at 3 o'clock. I pulled into my driveway at 922. Damn. 
starving and uh, with a, blad- a, a bladder about to burst. <laughs> Damn. That's terrible. It was I horrible. It. it was absolutely horrible. Just to just to travel 17 miles. Well, it's just crazy to me that, you know, uh, we definitely went off topic here. But, like, oh, yeah. it's, uh, you know, being from Baltimore, I you drive through a tunnel every day. Hmm. People just cannot drive through tunnels here. They can't drive through tunnels. It breaks here. their. It just breaks their brain. They step. They see the tunnel. As soon as they see it, they lift off the gas. Oh, yeah. As they get closer, they start putting their foot on the brake. Even with all, even with all the signs in the tunnel that say maintain, maintain 55. your speed, yeah, maintain like, your speed in the tunnel. They can't do it. They can't do it. Nah. Well, the added thing about that is in Virginia, we get so little snow that nobody knows how to drive. So nope. if you if you go to West Virginia and you get up in the mountains. People don't even touch the, the, the brake when the snow's going. No, they in their truck, they're yeah. flying down the road, no problem. In That's Virginia, right. the snow starts coming down. Nobody drives more than 10 you miles You know, I saw that when I first moved here, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was like a culture shock. School's closed because of fog. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. What's happening? <laughs> and then we got like, I think when I moved here in like 2014... There was like, uh, like four. We got like four inches of snow. Like the week I moved in, shut down for a week. Oh yeah, a week. A that week sounds right. It's about right. <laughs> oh, I, I remember a Sunday night they were calling for six inches of snow overnight, and all of the Hampton Road cities, every single one of them, shut down schools. They were like, like nope. Sunday night, we're not doing it. Nope. Woke up. Monday morning, nothing, nothing, not a nope. single drop of snow. It wasn't even <laughs> wet outside. Those forecasters messed it up so bad. Kids loved it. They got to stay home from school. It's too late to revert the decision. All right, so let's get back to cigars because we've been <laughs> we've been talking about. Yeah, we got about eight shorts on that one. Hampton yeah. Roads. <laughs> we've been talking about Hampton Roads and traffic. So Lee, man, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but. What was it, man? What made you decide to start your own cigar brand? Because, I'm, you know, every cigar aficionado or budding aficionado out there is thinking they're sitting on their couch and they're thinking, man, I could do that. Can they? Of course you can. Uh, you know, for it's like one of those things where it's like it's that perfect blend of like ambitiousness and stupidity. <laughs> right? Because you have to be non-risk averse to like the to the certain extent that like you're gonna take the risk right you know um but you have to have that blind ambition of wanting to create something um this idea that you can just make a cigar to make money um that's not the i would not recommend that to be your go-to if that's if that's really what the first comes to mind don't do it but for me it was like how do I make something I'm passionate about my full-time gig where I can just focus my time on doing that? Right. Um, and it started from years as just being a consumer. Like, you know, I'm a self-proclaimed cigar nerd, mm-hmm. right? Like, I was always chasing new boutiques and seeing what other people were doing and and those kind of things. And then you start to notice things in the market as you're becoming a consumer. And you're like, man, I would do that differently. Uh, like one of the things that fucking always broke my brain was this concept of like buying a two hundred or three hundred dollar box of cigars that you couldn't smoke for three months. 
I said, what kind of bullshit is that? Like, what would you wouldn't buy an Xbox or a TV that you would buy and then not use it for three months? Right. Right. So then it like you, you start having those conversations with yourself like I would do this differently or I would do that differently. And um, sound familiar, Ken? <laughs> yeah, sure. But <laughs> then it becomes like that pipe dream, right? That you're like you're always telling your friends, oh, we'll buy that bar one day. Mm. And then it really vastly approaches a time period where you're like, okay, well, it's time to shoot or get off the pot. I mean, that was legitimately you, you, you just told our story. Yeah, it's very similar. Is Ken and I sitting on the back deck realizing how, how we could do a lounge better than anybody's doing at Hampton Road. Yeah. And, and the hardest part really is taking the leap. Exactly. It's not the idea. It's not really the money. I mean, the money is a factor, right? Of course. But Always. Like, it's really convincing yourself, let's make it go, right? Like, let's do it. Because, yep. and especially with make manufacturing cigars, you have to be all in because shit's going to go wrong all the fucking time. Hmm. All the time. Is that what much of your... Not not much of your day, I would think, but uh, continuously you feel like you're putting out fires here and there to keep the thing on the right track. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like for us because with the infrastructure we have now and the factory and the, the the processes we've put in place, it's a lot better. But it definitely seems like there's ebbs and flows. Like there's a very calm period and then I get very anxious because I'm like, what the fuck's about to happen? <laughs> right. And so, like, that's that's one of the things that comes into play. And people always ask me, like, what is the biggest piece of advice, man? you got to be fucking flexible. You, oh, because yeah. if you're going to stroke out over everything that goes wrong, you're going to be dead a half year into your business. <laughs> and, like, it, it's just – and it, look, my not to be a hypocrite, like, I was that way too. You have to learn to kind of like, okay, this shit's going to – we just have to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say – and I, I, Ken and I have talked about this a lot too. You know, if you want to be successful in anything in life, whether it's a career or anything, you got to be a problem solver. You know, that's 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 what that's what we do ninety percent of the time is we're solving problems. Oh crap, the website's doing this. We need to solve the problem. Holy crap, we oversold the cigar. Now we have orders that came in. And we don't have that cigar. How do yeah. we solve that problem? And I, I think the best way that is the mindset, right? Mm-hmm. I think if you're a pro, I'm always been a process guy. So if you're if you're a process improvement mindset, you're going to be all right. Like yep. shit happened. How do we make sure it doesn't happen again? Right. right. Like, and that's really the only constructive way to approach it. Because, like I said, if you go super sideways and get bent out of shape ever everything goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna be a good no. trip. No. No. Not definitely. So how has the rest of the industry how have, how have the big boys received stolen thrones? Have they rolled out the red carpet <laughs> and and had a coronation for you? Uh yes and no. Ah. <laughs> so like I feel I don't admittedly I'm not that guy, I don't really give a shit, right? So like I don't really care. I mean they're there's quite a few people in the industry I consider friends. Um, it kind of felt like at the beginning when the crook was blowing up, it was kind of like, we'll ignore it till it goes away, right? Like it was like a flash in the pan kind of yeah. thing. And then as like we continued to grow and then continue to 
not go away and get bigger and bigger and bigger then it kind of came around to her like okay i guess this guy's for real and uh they're they're not gonna go anywhere nice so it's kind of transitioned in that in that way um but there's been guys um you know to name a few like pete johnson and dion and uh you know nick from foundation like have always since day one been super supportive been friendly you know pete's given me quite a bit of advice Hmm. um so there are those guys that are just want to see other guys that are good for the industry and once you kind of pass that sniff test of like hey he's not a scumbag he's not like fly by night he's doing things he's giving back he's participating it's kind of like a one of us thing at that point nice and i get it right because you do have unfortunately a shit ton of snake oil salesmen and charlatans in this industry I think any industry, but yeah. To a point. I think they stand out more in this industry because there's so many good people in this industry. So, and it's a, it's really a small community. I mean, you stop and think about it. It's tiny. I it, mean, it, I, compared to other industries, it's incredibly oh, yeah. small. Well, I think in any industry, really, I think really the size is indicative of just perception, right? Because we think about cigars being smoked all over the world, but realistically, the industry is quite small. It is quite small. And, you know, everyone knows everybody whether they want to admit it or not. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So about about how many sticks are you uh, on track to uh, sell in 2023? 2023 will be just under a million cigars. Nice. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's awesome, brother. Yeah, it's uh we're kind of busting at the seams right now, you know. But it's been great. You know, we've added in, in international distribution and and all these other things. So, so like it's and, and you now you have your own farms. Yeah, we have our own farms. Noel and I started Worldwide Tobacco a couple years ago. Um so we're producing our own tobacco. We have the Rojas Cigar Factory. Um and really it's not we needed those businesses to keep the cigars in the factory alive. Right. 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 You know, and, and I had told you the story, like one of the, when we talk about process improvement and flexibility in the midst of the crook blowing up, there were six months of no crooks, right? Because we ran out of tobacco. Right. And, uh, so we said that this can never fucking happen again. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's why we are where we are now. Right. Right. It wasn't, originally the plan wasn't to sell to other people but now it's become that you right. know so um but yeah so now it's a full-blown infrastructure bodegas so that was that was my 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 next question was like so you you've gotten you've broadened yourself out you're not just cigars you've got uh, a look into the the wider industry yeah um can you see this thing morphing into something where you just you know, you take a completely different direction where you're just like all distribution or all farms or something like that. Or you think, I mean, it's always, always possible. I'm, I'm a pretty flexible guy and I, I love revenue streams. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the business is kind of, and that's why everything's separate too. Right. They're, so they're, de- they're separate companies because they're, they have to have their own identity because you don't know what's going to, what opportunity is going to come and, and And that's probably the second biggest thing that I learned about being in this industry was you have to be opportunistic. Like there's so many times we'll get a farm and, and we'll get a phone call and like, Hey, there's farms available, but we need like 250 grand right now. Wow. Yeah. So you have to be able to pull that trigger because if you don't, someone else is going to do it. Oh yeah. And then you're going to need it long term. Right. Yep. So 
that's why the factory and the brands and, and the tobacco company are all separate entities, right? Because they have to be able to operate on their own, right? And that's why it, it's still transactional. They still actually sell tobacco to the factory. So it keeps it clean so everyone can flex, be flexible and grow on their own. So I don't really know, right? But I'm always pivoting at any point in time. I mean, my, my main focus will always be the manufacturing of cigars. Oh, I love this. I love what I'm doing. We've done, you know, what we've been able to create um, and continue to do so. It's just, it's like when you have those, like, side projects that grow to be their own thing. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what the the farms and stuff have become because it, the original purpose was just to continue to facilitate the need of the factory, right? We had We had no real understanding of, like, our yield and like how big with all the growth and how much tobacco we would need and realistically up until this year we probably we probably won't even really be able to sell to other people outside of some friends that need a couple bales right right until next year because that's just how much we're using right and and with our quality and with our quality standards fermentation process like it takes quite a bit of time oh yeah Right. And so, you know, I think I told you guys the other day, like we're at this point now where we have our aging room with bales set up to where every time we use a bale, we put two back mm. because we're just running through tobacco. Right. You, you continue to grow exponentially over time with manufacturing of cigars. Like that's that's the way it goes. So with that, with that, just under a million sticks, you you own your own factory and farms. So does that push you officially out of the boutique late late? No, no, we get this a lot, and like that's a good question. I think it's 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 subjective to what you believe boutique is. To me, I will always be a boutique cigar, and the reason for that is like I don't define it by a number; okay. I define it by a mindset. Right? Okay. Like we haven't raised prices on our cigars since we launched the brand. Right. Like that's not saying that it'll never happen, but we're trying to control it as much as possible. And for me, it's like. You do economical packaging. We do economical packaging. We control costs. We're vertically integrated. These are all things that help the retailer and consumer alike. Right? They do. They keep the yeah. cost down for the consumer. That's right. And everyone else is making it easy for me because they keep raising their prices. Yeah. <laughs> well, they keep getting fancier and fancier boxes. And no, for what? Right. No, no, no dig to any manufacturer that's doing boxes. And, and you know, some of our boxes are... Or works of art. That's works for sure. of art. You but know, at some point you're only going to get one cigar in the box because the box is so expensive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Actually, with the uh, what? Did, what do we just have? We had the uh, the that thirty one hundred by eight by one hundred. What was that thing? That huge cigar I smoked. The lunatic. The lunatic. Yeah, yeah, the ten <laughs> by one hundred box. The that's ten by one hundred. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so. For me, it's the mindset is once I stop putting the quality of the product above the bottom line, yep. then I'll no longer be boutique. Right. But to be honest with you, I'll, I'll quit long before that happens. I believe that. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you think of a, along that line because um, I don't care how big you get. If you keep doing it exactly the way you're doing, you will always be a favorite brand of mine. I appreciate that, but well, it, but like the, so the thing with numbers is kind of like it kind of baffles me a little bit, right? Because you're telling someone you don't want them to succeed because you think it's going to change their product, right? Because I ideally, of course, with success you're going to grow in terms of numbers, right? But that doesn't mean your standards have to change. So like someone asked me like what, how many cigars 
would I eventually like to make? And I told them, I said, I don't know. We're going to keep making more and more cigars until we can't meet my standard. Right. Once that production level starts failing at the quality portion, it's done. We're done there. But you're a process guy, so that... Should never should I, never happen. Should never happen. Should never happen. But there's a limit, right? There's a there's a capacity to everything. You know, there is. so we haven't found it yet, and thankfully so, but you know, never say never. Right. So I got a question. <clears throat> I've hear I heard this a couple of different ways, and I would love to get your input on it. So uh if you're watching this, you can see we have uh, a bunch of bundles and they're all the same size. But the the advice I've heard from the other side, from the store side, is you need is you need a, a bunch of different sizes so you can fill up that space. That's so what's your bullshit. take on on That's that? Do you need lots of sizes? I mean, clearly it seems like you'd fall on that you don't need lots of sizes. No, I don't believe in line extensions. Right? Every profile, every portfolio edition we've done has been two vitolas. We've kept the robusto, and we've done something different. Right? With the crook, we did the robusto toro, which is classic. Yep. Call, we did the Robusto Cuban Corona 6x46. Three Kingdoms, we did the Robusto and then the Prensado, the softbox, Prestoro. And then with the Yorktown, we did the Robusto and the Torpedo. And for me, it's because I am a process guy, I am a data guy. Man, you're going to have a sh to give me a shit ton of data to tell me that you're actually going to sell more cigars in another line or you cannibalizing another size that you're already doing. Right. Right? Like, prime example. For the fifth anniversary of the Crook, which is next year, we're doing a one-time release of a Crook Corona just to celebrate the five years, right? right? We've always been asked for a smaller Vitola of that cigar. I've been working on it for a year. Is it going to sell? Of course it is. It'll sell out at the show. Just I because it's it. a Crook. Because it's a Crook, because it's something new that we've done. We always have had that support on whatever release. But if I started making that regular production, which I'm not, You'd have, man, you'd have to give me four or five years of good data to tell me that it was worth it. Hmm. Right. Because, of course, at the beginning, you're going to sell more cigars. But over time, are you cannibalizing the Robusto or the Toro just because you added a Corona? Or all of a sudden, you're creating this new magical market segment that just wanted, like, that Corona. Just That's really corona. what you were missing, that one extra size. But, you know, like, I, I've kind of been a contrarian by nature, right? Like, because I can't tell you how many people told me that I was an idiot because I was only coming out with one cigar hmm. and two, cigar, two, two sizes. sizes. And even Noel laughed at me. I still give him shit about this now, seven years later. He's like, you're going to be a bundle cigar guy. You're going to make bundle cigars. Seems and like I said, yup. And I every year I tell him the same thing. Hey, I'm selling a shit ton of those bundle cigars. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, for us, when we look at, like, we'll get, we have uh, some brands, we have a number of different sizes. And we end up getting customers who are like, why don't you, you know, they end up buying the size they don't want because that's the only thing that's left. And it, we, we would be better off limiting our sizes to, to some degree. Uh, with the most popular ones because I mean it's just a it's a rare cigar smoker who's looking for a very specific size of a very specific blend, you can't you know? be everything to everybody right Correct. so basically what you do is you build you build basically an umbrella off of comparable data right so regardless of what people want to believe or say Robusto Toro is always going to be the most popular size right. historically it's the most selling size of cigars period Right, and we get a lot of people, especially with Noel being the king of small ring gauges. People want Lanceros. I love a Lancero, but they don't sell. Right. Yeah. Like 
if again, if you do it on a limited basis, and if it's a brand with a reputation of quality, you do it once, they'll do it. Like if I made yep. a, if I made a Lancero, I, I guarantee you I wouldn't have a problem getting rid of them, right? Oh yeah, for but sure. But if you do it long term for whatever reason, it's the same thing. Like one of my favorite sizes of all time, the one hundred nine. I've talked to man. I I've had. Jose Blanco and I have had hour-long conversations about that cigar. We both love that size, and he said the same thing. They just don't sell. Hmm. And, like, I, it's like I, you don't know why. Yeah. But so you basically just have to – you can't be everything to everybody. Yeah. That's really the end of it, right? We want to. We want to serve as many as we can, but you just can't. You so can't. it's – Especially in the beginning. No, no. So you have to do what you believe is right and what proves to be working. It, but the the benefit that you have at the beginning that a lot of people pass up on, and it, it's it's such a it's such a shitty circumstance, is be flexible, fail early and often. If it's not working, change it now. Yeah. Don't wait five years. Right. You know. Don't wait five years. Invest all that time, energy, effort, and capital into something that's not working. I think this is the issue the majority of the smaller boutique brands have. They have too many options in the beginning. If they would have done one or two sticks in one or two sizes and just done them phenomenally, yeah. And and build their brand off of those. I've always said I'd rather expand. be really good at one or two things than be okay at a shit ton of things. Right. 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 And so I, I think you're right. I, I think when you think about the, the cost it, it takes to launch a brand, trademarks, packaging, cigars, and then you're choosing to go down an antiquated approach of having a Maduro, Connecticut, Habano. So so let me ask you this. You, you brought it up, so I'm going to ask you. If I'm a guy sitting on a couch at home and I'm thinking, I, I can do a brand. I want to do a brand. I, and I like this conversation Lee and Mike and Ken are having. I'll, I'll do one cigar and two Vitolas. Don't take my shit. No. <laughs> I, <laughs> but, but they're thinking, you know, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm now motivated. I'm going to go do this. About how much would you recommend for them to have in their bank account to start this process? At least 100 grand. At least. At least because, you know, varying costs of production costs of actually getting your cigar. Yep. You know, you have packaging decisions you have to make. And if you go with boxes, they're stupid fucking expensive. Yep. Right? You have to you have to be able to do economies of scale. Yep. Right? And what you have to understand with the current state of, like, manufacturing of boxes now, there's, there's like, three or four good players. And they know they're good. Yep. So there is no volume discount. Right. Right? And you have to think about it. If you're paying 6 to $10 per box... That doesn't sound like a lot, but extrapolate that over hundreds of thousands of cigars. Right. Right? And then bands. Paper is stupid expensive. Yes. You have your die setups for your bands, right? That's a thousand bucks. Yep. Then you have production of your, your paper. And then you have your trademarks and you have your lawyers. You have your import fees. You have all this shit. And yeah. before you know it, and then you have that great check from the government you got to pay before you sell your cigars. The import taxes. Right? So, like, it gets away from you really quick. Oh, yeah. You know, and and to be honest with you, I did this years ago. Yeah. So hundred grand might not be enough. Yeah, I was thinking. I honestly was thinking somewhere in the neighborhood of two fifty. It might be that, depending on how you're going to do, depending on how you're going to approach it. If you're gonna, if you're gonna do bootstraps like we did, you can save quite a bit. But if if you're going to go right to a distributor, which 
I hate that idea. Uh, right? We get that a lot. And, like, my biggest reason is, is it's not that there's not good distributors. There's great distributors out there. The problem is, is if you quickly hand over portions of your business, you've never learned them. Right. Mm. Right? Like, I would much rather someone run it out of their closet, turn their walk-in into a humidor, ship their own stuff, see what shipping costs are, see what goes into it, and learn your business. Yeah. Because when you hand that over, it's the same as going international. That's what took us so long be- to, to get the good, warm, and fuzzies because you're relinquishing control of something you're passionate about. Right. Right? You and, lose that ability to maintain that. And quality. especially if you don't have the knowledge of what's actually going into that, what are you giving away? You have no idea. Right. And so you walk into something that makes you not profitable where if you just did it yourself, not only do you get knowledge, you might become profitable quicker. quicker. Right. Right. Keeping the overhead down, that's you're right. not paying those fees. So that that brings up a really good question for from my perspective is uh, the U.S. is the biggest cigar market, like um, pretty for sure now. easily for right now. now. So what made right. you guys go overseas? Because uh, I mean, it seems like staying at home is is viable. But w- but what's happening overseas? What's happening? Where are you focused on, and and why? It is viable. You, you the home front is always the most important. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that the tides are shifting. Oh, really? I think I think so. I mean, you have China becoming a massive consumer market, right? Think about it this and this they they're slowly transitioning cigars, but think about it in terms of the fact of just pure numbers. Mm-hmm. So China has more tobacco users than the United States has population. See, and you know, isn't wasn't it uh wow. wasn't it um uh Cigar Authority? He did a uh, David did a podcast a couple weeks ago about the uh the, the fake tobacco shortage. There's not a real tobacco shortage out there. It's that China's coming in buying all the shit up. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, that doesn't make a shortage fake, right? I, what, what, what I think what's getting, what's getting misconstrued as a shortage is really a fight for in the demand sector. The demand sector. Right. And, and it's not really a shortage. It's just what willing people are willing to, to pay. pay. Right, and so what you're seeing is prime example. A couple of years ago is when we started noticing the difference. When grade C tobacco stuff we wouldn't even look at was going up two dollars a pound. Mm. That's like your that's like your jug of milk going to ten bucks. Yeah, right. Like it, that's a lot. Right. So where I I, I don't totally disagree, but I kind of do because when you're getting a price, people are there's always someone to buy it. Right. Right. And it's getting harder and harder. To buy tobacco, right? Because really, at the end of the day, you want to do it to where it's still profitable. Right. Right? And so that that becomes, and it, it does affect the logistics and it, the supply chain. So where he, I, I don't totally disagree, but I think it's more that the demand sector. Yeah. But as far as like the, the question about the the markets are changing. I mean, Habanos, you know, me and a couple of manufacturers joke that our greatest salesman has been Habanos because they're raising prices 40%. Hmm. So right, the the biggest the biggest objection has always been the import taxes on your cigars. Right. right? Oh yeah. And so for for stolen throne cigars that thrive for quality at a value price, a meaningful price, you kind of lose that. If you lose that, then you're just another quality cigar, right? Right. But with the Habanos doing what they're doing, it's impossible for me to anywhere be close to them in terms of pricing. Mm-hmm. And then you have trade agreements to where, like, you know, you can ship directly from Nicaragua to the to EU for no import tax. Right. Right. But you have the Middle East that's opening up. I mean, our, our first foreign market was the Emirates. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, with duty freeze and stuff like that. Then we opened Japan, which Japan because of <laughs> it's it's actually a pretty funny story. Like, yeah, uh, it was a government initiative that led to more cigars being smoked in Japan. Wow, that's wild. So, like the morale of the country because they're very you know strict, hardworking people. Right. They weren't doing anything else, so they were depressed as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so there was like this mandate where. Like, employers had to do, like, social events and happy hours for their employees. And that led to people smoking cigars. Hmm. And so even Europeans, I mean, the, the European markets, like, the, they're craving something new. Right. They're they craving can't... new world tobacco. They're, they're starting to transition to fuller body, stronger cigars. Like, and that's what's leading to the demand. They've had Cubans for all these years. And, and now, when the, the New World Cigars get there, they're like, uh... Well, they were noticing something. the drop in quality before we were. Hmm. Because it's all they've seen, right? Yeah. That's all they've known. That's right. Right. And so, and for us, we did it a little different. We kind of waited till that demand pulled us. We had people sorting us out ah. instead of going in blind. Yeah. Like, I just didn't feel like just running into inner tobacco and, like, trying to be like, hey, sell my cigars. Yeah. I didn't love that idea because, like I said, you're losing control. Like, I'm basically giving that distributor complete control of my brand in that market, which for the last five years has been my pet. Right? So that's very difficult. Right. right. So we've been really lucky. You know, we've done really great magazines and, and, and media over there that have given us far more than I believe we deserve in terms of coverage. I mean, every cigar we've ever put out has made the top 50 list over there. Nice. Um, the Crook, Three Kingdoms, and Call All One Boutique of the Year over there. Um, so that kind of pushed it. And then we actually, our first year of PCA, we had people coming and like, Hey, let's work something out. You know, I wonder how popular the Yorktown fleet will be in the EU. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not great in the UK. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like the biggest cigar over there for us is the called arms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's like a perfect transition. I, I don't really think of, comparative with our products that's not right. really my bag right right but i i i have a good relationship with some of those uh, media folks over there and they're like you know what it's like a cuban on steroids there you go it's great flavor it's a way better quality and it gives you strength that you don't get and it kind of transitions you perfectly into nicaraguan tobacco and cigars and more richer and, and bolder flavors so yeah i mean the the world is changing right i, I do i ever think that we'll be sending more cigars overseas than here Highly unlikely. Mm, Not right. impossible. Yeah. Right? But right. highly unlikely. Right. Because a lot of them are just, you know, they're so tax-laden. And so... Yeah, like Australia has pretty much crushed their entire... Yeah, and we are in Australia and New Zealand. Expensive. And, like, what they'll pay for an Argos is fucking absurd. Argos <laughs> are going for, like, 86 bucks a piece, <laughs> which is fucking nuts. Hmm. Right? That's ridiculous. But, like, I, you know, the good thing is is that the people are pushing back. You're seeing these generational bands get shot down, right? Mm. So New Zealand just ended theirs. Yep. Oh, okay. And the UK was proposing one, and that got shot down. And, you know, like, that's a whole other discussion. But that's a good right. thing long term. Yeah, we're uh, going on a bit of time here. You want to... You want to... Oh, I'm drawing a blank. Wait, we got to throw it to our, our listeners. The hatchet man is getting ready to shut No, us no, down. no. Yeah. I mean, there's, there is a limit to... Are we, we doing we our do new it. segment this week? We did not prepare the way we should have for this segment. 
I have okay. no idea what's going on here. Okay. <laughs> so we won't do that. But we can wrap it up uh, before Ken gets mad and throws something at me. But before we do, let's just go to closing thoughts. Lee, is there anything we didn't ask you, anything you want to share? Or do you have any closing thoughts at all that you want to share? No, man. Thank you guys so much for having me. This Bro, been appreciate awesome. it, man. Appreciate you joining us. This, you're our first manufacturer live on our podcast. So we're we're thrilled that Stolen Thrones could be here. Ken? Yeah, I, I hope this is the first of many because, I mean, this this was a great podcast. I was I was personally very informed. I mean, even if we never pushed this out, it would be worth it for me. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I was, my closing, closing thoughts were going to be, this is a perfect cigar geek podcast, man. If you love talking about cigars and the manufacturing process and learning about all of that, this was the, the podcast for that. That's a lot of guys dreaming about. You're sitting on their couch watching football and thinking, man, I could do this. And the barrier to entry isn't that high, and you could do it, but will you, know, you do it? That's right. the question. Yeah, that's will right. you do it? Now, I will say this: I'm gonna I'm gonna add one 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 thought of caution before you just jump off your couch and go write a check for a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> um, be ready to be all in. Yeah, that's big. I, that's I'm big. gonna say, you know, Ken Ken and I in our retail shop, Toro Cigar, we have done phenomenally i think we're at our one year projection in sales where i thought we would be in one year we're at at five months but we are both all in yeah that's you cool. have to be there are 12 14 15 hour days out here in this shop shooting this podcast editing this podcast doing our social media ordering cigars right. inventorying cigars shipping cigars yeah. paying tobacco taxes customer service issues i get no less than two or three emails or discord dms a day you need to be all in if you're gonna do it be all in you know my college coordinator told me this and i'll never forget it and i've used it multiple times there's no such thing as halfway pregnant (laughs) (laughs) you either are you're not you either are you're not that's right and that's great okay we're gonna wrap it up guys thank you so much for joining us if you like this podcast Please like, comment, and share uh, the podcast below. Um, as you, you guys, we talk about this every week. We are constantly fighting the YouTube algorithm to get our content out there. The more you like it, comment, and share it, the more likelihood we will get this content out to other people who might enjoy it as well. Also, your comments, we'd love to hear what you think about boutique cigar brands, starting your own cigar brand. Have you ever thought about it? Let us know in the comments below. Specifically, Stolen Thrones right exactly and with that we're going to close it out guys have a great week be a man smoke cigar god bless you all cheers